Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today, without surprise, coronavirus. We narrow the scope of analysis to its impact on global travel restrictions and the resulting effect on immigration processes. How does work from home policies affect H-1B procedures? What specific visa types will be impacted? Where does corporate compliance fit into this equation? Managing Director at Ericsson Immigration Group and co-creator of Immigration Nerds, Hiba Amber, joins the podcast along with colleague and also Managing Director at Ericsson Immigration Group, Justin Parsons. We address the most common concerns risen by employers and employees and provide best recommendations within this continuously fluid juncture. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us Beyond Borders. So in light of the coronavirus topic and the rapid spread, employee safety is very much top of mind for everyone. In the employment-based immigration space, what we're seeing is an increasing trend towards encouraging employees to work from home. The idea here is that you keep your office place safe by preventing the spread within a particular building or a particular office location. The thing is that if you're going to implement a work-from-home policy, that has immigration-related implications, and working from home, depending on the employee's visa type, can require certain immigration-related action items when it comes to existing employees. Similarly, working from home can also result in a potential delay of a start date for a new employee, which then triggers conversations about I-9 compliance, and if you're looking at this from the global perspective, how to remain compliant in the face of right-to-work checks. So the best way to think about this issue is a work-from-home policy and how it impacts existing employees versus new employees, and how that translates into immigration-related action items, but then also compliance considerations for a company. First, what comes to mind is the travel restrictions that are happening right now. Could you give us an understanding of that scope and how that may impact travel? Yeah. So, I I mean, I would say that first off in the U.S., if individuals are coming, if they've been in China for the past uh, two weeks, the visa holders are not going to be allowed back into the country. Uh, And any U.S. citizen who's been in China uh, over the course of the past two weeks, and, and this is something that we've we've known about for a while, is going to be subject to the the, the two week quarantine. Mm-hmm. So similarly, this is something that we're seeing with the cruise ship that was off the coast of San Francisco. They're putting those folks in in uh, quarantine for a period of two weeks to essentially stop the spread of the the virus. And then a lot of other countries around the world have followed suit in that they started off um, restricting uh, travel specifically with respect to Chinese citizens. And then recently, as of, I believe, yesterday, uh, Italy has closed its borders to all incoming travelers. Correct. Israel has done the same. So there are a lot of cross-border implications as well, uh, resulting from coronavirus travel restrictions. And similarly, many companies in the United States have actually completely restricted international business travel, and in some instances, domestic business travel as well. So the 
the impact on travel um, resulting from the fear of the spread of coronavirus is actually quite vast at this point. Mm -hmm. And talking about the companies and corporations, uh, many in the U.S. and also globally have incorporated work from home policies, right? Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the work from home policies and corporate compliance in that sense? Yeah, so I would say that, um, you know, starting maybe a week and a half ago, we started seeing a lot of multinational companies um, starting to implement a work from home policy to, you know, the social distancing to prevent the spread of, of the virus. So that has a lot of implications, I think, both from a, a visa standpoint or a work permit standpoint. And we're not just talking about the U.S., we're talking about, you know, companies with offices all around the globe who are switching to a work from home policy. And then we're also going to, you know, have to think about as well uh, if companies are hiring new individuals or if people are trying to renew their, their visas or work permits to show that they have the right to work. What does that mean, for example, for I 9 policies and processes with companies? How does the company, you know, stay in compliance during this, this I'd say turbulent time, or does it even matter? Hmm. Um, I think that's one of the the big questions. I mean, we sit here today is March the tenth, and the, one of the big questions is just from a, a global immigration standpoint, a global compliance standpoint, are there going to be exceptions made for for companies um, if you do not meet the the compliance aspects of a visa and right to work issues? I think that that's a valid question. We haven't been provided any sort of guidance with respect to a change in processes or any sort of an exception to be made as a result of these extenuating circumstances. But I think it's also important to keep in mind that with the current administration's overall attitude towards immigration, be it business or family, uh, it's probably best to err on side of caution. And what's important to point out today is that for many companies, implementing a work from home policy or placing a restriction on travel, be it domestic, international, cross-border, is seen as a health and safety issue, but is very much an immigration issue with a analysis required to take place oftentimes before the work from home policy goes live internally with, for the company. So that is an important call out to companies is before you actually make the decision to go live and implement the policy, it's very important that as part of your internal due diligence, you're also looking at what the immigration-related implications are as well. So we'll just start out with a list of countries where if individuals go from working in a corporate office to a work from home, there are no immigration requirements in terms of notifying the local office or notifying that country's USCIS. So. There are countries like Argentina, Australia, Belgium, Brazil, uh, Denmark, Finland, Hong Kong, India, Italy, you know, and everyone's on lockdown right there as of today, uh, Japan, Korea, South Korea, that is, Mexico, Morocco, New Zealand, Norway, um, Singapore, Spain, Sweden. Those are all the countries where if your company wants somebody to work from home, there is no requirement to notify the local office in that country. Now, there's a whole list of other countries where um, if you're going to shift from somebody working in a corporate office to working from home, there is a notification requirement. And we'll start with the U.S., for example. So we know that for uh, certain visas in the U.S., there is no requirement for this. So if you're on a TN visa 
if you're on an, an O-1 visa or if you're on an L visa, uh, there is no requirement to notify the USCIS that, that you're going to be switching to work from home. However, if, if you are on a visa where there isn't a labor condition application tied to it, there's an LCA requirement, you are required to make some amendments um, with regards to the postings in order for the individual to work from home. We've looked in the firm the past couple of days at this requirement and any individual who's on an H and E3, uh, an H1B1, who's going to be working from home, uh, as long as it's within the commuting distance, which is defined by the regulations, you know, anywhere from 20 to 50 miles, it's pretty vague there. Uh, we are advising clients that the LCA, the labor condition application, is reposted, whether it's electronically or the individual's home, in order to stay in compliance. That is just a pure reading of the regulations. That is our interpretation. The big question is, is if companies don't do this, if you have 25,000 foreign nationals and you don't take it upon yourself to stay on top of it for com from a compliance perspective, is the company going to go after you at this time? Um, and if they do, do the risks you know, outweigh you know, the potential fines that or, or, or penalties that could be levied against the company? We don't know that. Our recommendation to clients is, is always to, to be in compliant with the regs, the circumstances are what they are, but at the end of the day, clients or clients need to be, they need to remain in full compliance. One of the questions that I, that we've gotten asked a lot over the past couple of days, more complex questions in terms of how does work from home impact someone's ability to maintain their, their visa status and, and immigration compliance to how do you I-9 somebody if the office is closed? Those are kind of the more complex issues, but we also get these very legitimate questions about if the office is closed, how do you post the LCA if you're doing manual postings? How do you post the notice of filing mm -hmm. for PERM? Is this gonna all these are these processes gonna come to a screeching halt? So the one thing I would have to you know have to say to that is um, you know, if you're still doing manual postings on for LCA labor condition applications. Yeah, someone's going to have to post those. The alternative is, which I think what you know we do for a lot of our clients is electronic postings. Um, so we post, you know, electronically, uh, internally on you know an internal board, and then that's linked to a client's website. So for purposes of LCAs, they're going to continue to be posted. You know, life goes on; uh, the trains keep running. For purposes of notice of filings for perms, because there is a physical posting requirement. We have told clients that there may be a period of time where uh, notice of filings aren't posted if the office is closed. So big picture, it's if you have electronic postings, probably not going to impact H-1Bs and H-1B extensions, new hires, cap cases, et cetera. But if it's for PERM, you may see some sort of delay in, in uh, the recruitment. And one of the rules that companies are probably going to try to look into and possibly even utilize is something known as the short-term placement rule which states that in limited circumstances, you know, a, an employee can work at a different work site for 30 days, maybe up to 60 days within a given year, and no action is required, no refiling of the LCA or reposting of the LCA or what have you. But I think that it's really important for companies to take a look at the criteria for when a situation or an employee is eligible to leverage the short-term placement rule. Because there are certain restrictions, there are certain requirements 
the company is required to pay for lodging and expenses and incidentals for the employee for both working days and non-working days while that employee is at that particular work site. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, the short-term placement rule is not applicable if there is a valid LCA that's already been filed in that same metropolitan statistical area. So there are considerations that make the short-term placement rule inapplicable to what's happening now, which is an interim work from home policy mm-hmm. resulting from the virus. In terms of this work from home policy, if you guys can sort of project out, if coronavirus concerns continue, what is the long-term effect on these different, whether it's visa types or visa and immigration and in, in, in general? I think the most conservative approach is to repost the LCA And then the next time the case is eligible for either an extension or the next sequential filing and an LCA needs to be refiled, you incorporate the home address into the LCA along with the worksite address. But what I'm referring to is what would be applicable in probably worst case scenario, meaning that this continues for the next several months and the employee is potentially working from home for an undefined period of time. So that's one way to approach it in terms of your question, what we foresee. Mm -hmm. I also think what companies need to watch out for is how this work from home policy impacts their I-9 process and global right to work check Mm -hmm. process in terms of how the employees that are responsible for conducting that verification are treated. Companies are not going to be able to delay start dates for very long. And so companies that probably didn't have contingency plans before are going to have to rethink how they approach I-9 and document verification. It's easier to say, but can be difficult to implement, particularly when it comes to larger companies. Yeah. I mean, so I would, to add to that point, um, there's a lot of countries where you can do the right to work check and we're talking the right to work. I'm going to define it as you hire an individual. um, They show up on day one, similar to an I-9 and they have Mm -hmm. to show you know, their, their right to work in that country. Um, so a lot of these countries, um, you know, that, you know, we have a global network and, and we have local partners in over a hundred countries around the globe. Um, a lot of these countries where our, our clients are placing individuals, there is an electronic right to work component to it. So in Canada, for example, you can, you know, verify an individual's right to work electronically you can in Denmark, you can in France, uh, India, Hong Kong. I'm just going down a list. In Ireland, which is a very kind of hot spot right now. Hmm. So there's a lot of places where um, companies can still continue to interview folks, make offers, and then still onboard people. And you can do this at an arm's length. You can have them you know, flash their information via Google Meet. One of the places that you can't do this, we've been getting bombarded with questions as of the past week and a half, one of the places you can't do this is the U.S. We all know that for an I-9, the individual shows up on day one and they have to produce their list A or combo list B and C documents. And it has to be original and in person. Um, and then the company has within three business days to then complete section two. So the question becomes in the U.S. is businesses want to continue. They want to continue to hire. They want to continue to onboard. Business must go on. You know, so what are the options if everything closes down, everyone's working from home, how do you still onboard folks? 
So I'd say there's a couple options, and then I would I would say that there's some speculation and conjecture about how to get this done. So one is the first option is you know people come in and do it in person, which is required by the law. The second option is to designate an individual to where the majority of your 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 workforce is working from home. You have the one individual who's handling the I-9s still d- does it in person. You can also designate a, a, a remote person to do it. So um, the person who's onboarding goes to a third-party location, does their, their I-9, or that person goes to the individual's home. So these are all options and you know various um, mechanisms and techniques that, that we have companies do. One of the things that the things that I've been asked is, can't you just flash the documents over a Google Meet, and then when essentially the ban lifts, you can verify the original documents? Um, I think that is is speculative. It's not in line with the regulations. And then it comes back to the the overall question that we asked at the beginning, which is, is ICE is USCIS going to enforce these these kind of violations? Can they enforce them for everyone, or are they going to look the other way? You know, we still think that it's risky to do anything such as electronic I nine verification. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's like an email version of the documents or whatever, we don't recommend doing that. But there has been a lot of buzz and I think creative ideas. But with that said, there's been no statement as of three ten, which is today, issued by USCIS or 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 ICE or E Verify in terms of whether that would be acceptable. So I would just caution listeners to be very careful about. Um, an attorney has a has a novel idea about how, how there could be a workaround, and nobody has signed off on this from from a government agency perspective. So take it with a huge uh, grain of salt in terms of whether to follow those those practices. Thank you to lead researcher Com Branch assistant producers Luke Bianco and David White, and music by Brandon Williams. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.